John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, I am the vine. That's where we find ourselves today. While you're finding your place there in John chapter 15, I'll give you a little introduction. Though Kaiser Wilhelm of the First World War has been criticized, his Christian home life was an example to his people. Frequently, the emperor gave proof of his religious sentiments. Hardly a speech did he deliver without some religious reference. One incident in his life was typical. The Kaiser was discussing a passage of the New Testament when a university professor, with a university professor, excuse me, the passage was the well-known one, which I'll be preaching on today, I am the vine, you are the branches. The professor was attempting to deny the divinity of Christ. The Kaiser asked him, have you ever said to your students, I am the vine and you are the branches? No, sir, the professor replied. The Kaiser asked again, do you think that any professor before your time has spoken in that way? Again, the answer was in the negative. The Kaiser asked differently, do you think that in the future, professors will so speak to those grouped at the foot of his chairs? And certainly not, replied the professor. Well then, since never has a master spoken, nor can he speak as Christ has spoken, I believe not only that Christ was a real man, but he was also the real God. Today we will look into Christ's statement that resounds from John 15 uh, as Christ has spoken it. The implications of his statement and what that means for you and I. And let us read, we're going to look at John chapter 15 verses 1 through 8. We will look at the vine and the vine dresser and the branches. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, you read along with me. Words will be on the screen. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is wizard, withered. <laughs> and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name for your glory for your kingdom's growth, and so your name may be praised. God, I pray if someone is here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today be the day they surrender their pride. God, they bow before you humbly, confess you as Lord, believe in their heart, God, you raised your son from the dead, and they are saved. God, I pray that happens today. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you that you are the true vine. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'll just work in our lives today. May we not leave the same way we came in. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at verse 1 and verse 5 to begin with. The first parts. 
Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Then in verse 5, he says, I am the vine. He says that he is the true vine. His Father is the vine dresser. He is the vine. There should be no confusion as to where our help, our life, our productivity comes from. It comes from Christ. It comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. Both verse 1 and 5 contains these lines that I just said. I'm the true vine, I'm the vine. And this is also, um, it'll bring back to your memory the many times throughout John's gospel where Jesus says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life, which all corresponds back to the Old Testament where God tells Moses through the burning bush, you tell them that I am sends you. Jesus Christ is as much God as the Father and the Holy Spirit is as well. They have their different functions within the triune Godhead. But here we see that Jesus says that I am the vine. He is the vine and we are the branches. And we look at this and Jesus' words in the Greek are ego imi, which translates I am existing today, tomorrow, and forever. Jesus is never changing and is today, tomorrow, and forever the great God he has always been since time began. Nothing has changed about who Jesus Christ is. Whether he was the word at the beginning which was spoken so that life may come on this earth and to mankind or whether he is the word by which heals, he is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us as John 1 tells us. He is, uh, he says, uh, John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He is the word. And he is the vine dresser. Vine, he is the vine, and God the Father is the vine dresser, and he's not changed in any of that since then. The word vine dresser is also known as husbandman. You may find that in your King James Version is how it says that. It means one whose business it is to cultivate the ground. It is one of the first occupations to ever be noted and was esteemed most honorable. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 26, and in Genesis chapter 37. And all the Hebrews, except those that held a religious position, were all husbandmen. They were all cultivators of the ground. And each one of us, we follow suit underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. We all should be cultivating some ground along the way. I've talked about us being mentors and leaders to the next generations coming up. That's, you're cultivating the ground. The way you set it up for the next generation is the way they're going to grow. A farmer sets up his field. He sets it up. We talked about the shepherd on Wednesday night. But here we're talking about a farmer, a, a, a vine dresser. How he preps that ground is going to have a lot to do with how what's put in the ground grows. Right? That's exactly how it works. But I want to tell you about some context about why Jesus is having to say that I am the true vine. He's having to tell them, why am I the vine? How is it that there's any confusion about this? Well, if we look back into the Old Testament, we can see why there's this necessity for Christ to give clarity that he is the true vine and who are the branches. In Isaiah chapter 5, we have the song of the vineyard. We've got the song of the vineyard, and it goes like this. Now, it's not, it's not poetic. 
as many a times, you know, we think of songs, they should rhyme at the end. Obviously, that was written in a different, it's going to be written in a different language originally. So when it gets translated over to English, you know, it doesn't always fit. So understand if you're looking for words to rhyme at the end of it or every other line, it's probably not going to happen. But there's a rhythm to it within the Jewish culture and the way it was originally written. But this is called the Song of the Vineyard found in Isaiah 5. It's written such as this. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. This points to the bad fruit produced by Israel. Although God had cultivated it for good, God will replace that vine with a more productive vine. Originally, Israel was the vine. He planted that. He cultivated that. But yet what came off of their branches was not healthy. It was bad fruit. Every prophet was killed except for who? Haggai. All the prophets were killed. They were, and so Israel had a lot of bad fruit coming out from it. But yet God cultivated that. They were supposed to be the vine. But yet it wasn't, it wasn't to be so because they chose, they chose this world over the word. They chose this word over, over God. Then we see in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, with the parable of the wicked tenants. If you look over there, I'm not going to read it word for word verbatim. I'm going to give you an overview because I really want to dive in and stay at another place a little longer. And you know I like to stay longer. So you'll be appreciative of the paraphrase right here. In Mark 12, 1 through 9, with the parable of the wicked tenants, the vine dresser did all to set up a productive vineyard and left his tenants to care for it. At harvest, the vine dresser sent a servant to bring back fruit from the vineyard. The wicked tenants seized him, beat him, and sent him back empty-handed. Well, the vine dresser sent another servant, only to have him hit on the head and treated shamefully. The vine dresser sent another, and that one they killed. And after other failed attempts, the vine dresser finally sent his son, thinking they would respect him. But the tenants took him and killed him, thinking they would receive the inheritance. Jesus tells us in that parable, he says, What then will the vine dresser do? The vine dresser will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. That's what's going to happen. This is the story of Israel, and this is the story of Jesus coming to earth to be the true vine. There was a vine of, that was set up originally. It was supposed to be the nation of Israel, but things just didn't work out. God kept sending his prophets. They'd beat them up and send them out. He'd send their prophets. They'd knock them overhead and treat them shamelessly. He'd send another. They'd kill them. And then finally, what did, it, what did God do? God sent his son. The Pharisees, what did they do? They killed him. So what did Jesus do? He replaced them. He said, no more. He said, I am just going to send my son. My son will be the vine. My son is the fulfillment. And John doesn't teach a replacement theology like the church now becomes the vine. The church is not the vine. Jesus is the vine. And that replacement theology is whereby the church takes the place of Israel. Rather, the vine is Jesus himself. Jesus is the new Israel. 
Just as he already had been portrayed as the replacement of the temple, he had been portrayed as the replacement and the fulfillment of the symbolism of various Jewish cultures. That's what Kostenberger tells us in his commentary on John. And Jesus declares that he is the true vine. That is, in this ancient imagery, he has taken the place of Israel as God's true planting. The new concept is that God's vineyard holds one vine, and Israel <clears throat> must inquire if it is attached to him. No longer is Israel automatically seen as the vines growing in God's vineyard. Men and women are now branches growing from one stock, and that stock is Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. Every single person will be held accountable as to whether or not they were attached or grafted into the vine. It is not up to just because mom and daddy are grafted into the vine, son and daughter or daughter and daughter or siblings, whatever it may be, are not automatically grafted into the vine. It's not how it works. It is an individual's decision as to whether or not they will follow after Christ and the vine dresser grafts you in. That's up to him. That's up to him. When you make that decision, when you confess Christ is Lord, you are grafted into the vine. You are grafted into the vine. Vine dressers, they both trim branches so they will produce more fruit and cut away dead branches that have no life in them. And I want you to understand we'll talk about this a little bit more in length in just a moment. Because life comes when Christ comes into you. When Christ comes into you, he comes into you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus' work that saves you. It's the Holy Spirit's indwelling that seals you. That's how that works. He indwells you and seals you until the day of redemption. That's what Scripture tells us. Jesus is not dwelling in your heart. The Holy Spirit is. Jesus' work on the cross saved you. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. That's where he's at. Scripture tells us that. So don't be confused. Talked about that multiple times. Because the fruit of the Spirit, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, how can you have the fruit of the Spirit if the Spirit's not indwelling within you? It's going to pour through you. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Before I transition to talk about the branches, discipleship is not just a matter of acknowledging who Jesus is. It is having Jesus spiritually connected to our inner lives. So the vine, the true vine, is Jesus Christ. It is not Israel. It is not who stands in this pulpit. It's not the church, whether it's Church Universal or the autonomous local church. The vine is Jesus. Each individual who calls upon the name of Christ is a branch. And each branch, if it is healthy, will, will produce fruit. It will produce fruit. If it is a branch, a healthy branch, attached to the vine. Let's look at the next set. Look there in verse 2 in chapter 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Look down to the latter part, the second half of verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, 
He is cast out as a branch and is withered, not wizard, as I said earlier. He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. I'm going to stop right there for just for right now. The branches. Now I'm going to step through each one of these lines and talk about each one that Jesus gives us here in understanding and giving us this illustration of who he is. It's very likely that Jesus and his disciples, they had left out from the temple and they were passing through uh, the Kidron Valley where at this time they had, uh, they had their, their grapes, uh, uh, the fruit there of the vine. And so Jesus was always looking at opportunities to explain things based on their geographical location. So many times they might be walking through a field of wheat or he's walking through uh, the, 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 the great, the great uh, I can't think of it, the vineyards. That's the word, the vineyards. My, my brain went, went blank there for a minute. He might be walking through the vineyards. He sees different things along the way, and he uses those as teaching points. Jesus still wants us that, to, do, to do those type things today. We don't need to be talking over people's heads. We need to be using things that are understandable in our context to be able to teach what's going on around us, revealing who Christ is and how we should live. And that's what Jesus does all through these things. You'll look back through and you'll see how Jesus used everything that was geographically around him. He talked about the temple. They came out of the temple that day, right? Remember, he's walking down with the disciples and he says, uh, they're, they're sitting and telling him how beautiful the temple is. And he says, uh, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. Now they're thinking about the physical temple. But he's talking about his body. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it in three days. Of course, Pharisees hear this, and they all go into a tizzy. You know, what are you talking about? It took us forever to build this temple. And Jesus is like, well, you're confused. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about me. So that's another point where they got pretty angry at him, which is pretty awful. But anyway, let's look at this, the branches. He uses those things to help draw those disciples in. Because they were fishermen, right? They were common, everyday people. You know what I mean? He wasn't walking around with the Pharisees. Highly educated folks. He's like, I'm going to use everything around us because this is commonplace and we need to use those things. We work in, we all work in environments. We work together. You can use all kinds of stuff to use to illustrate how Christ works in this world. But anyway, this is what he's using, the branches. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The branches in this illustration is in regards to the disciples. In many of the commentaries I looked at, they were, this is, this is an understanding of what's going to happen with Judas Iscariot. There's living branches and there's dead branches. There's branches that seem like they're a part of the vine, but they're, but they're not. They're not. Jesus mentions two types of disciples, living and dead ones. All true disciples are alive. Anyone who is dead is not a true disciple and thus cannot bear fruit nor exercise faith. At best, such people are like Judas Iscariot. They hang around Jesus without a genuine, life-giving relationship with him. Jesus didn't come to coddle false disciples. Jesus didn't come to coddle false disciples. He came to lead true disciples and lead them in a way that they will produce fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, then you're not connected to Jesus. It's just that simple. If your life shows no evidence of Jesus, then you don't belong to him. I'm not up here to coddle false disciples. I'm up here to call people to a relationship with Jesus 
And then to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded us. And lo, listen, he's going to be with you throughout the end of the age. That's what Christ has called me to do here as your pastor. Call you to repentance. Call you to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And then once you make that decision, once you fall on Christ, because Scripture says, he who falls on the Lord will be broken, but he upon whom that stone falls will be crushed. So fall upon him now. Call upon him now before it's too late. Before it's too late. Be grafted in the vine before you're cut away for eternity and thrown away and withered and thrown into the pile to be burned, which is an illustration of what happens to those without Christ in hell. It's a real place. It was not created for you and me. It was not for you and me. It's God's desire that none perish apart from him, but that all come to repentance. So it's his desire Come to faith in Him. Believe upon Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man shall ever come to the Father except through Him. There is no alternative way. There's no good work. There's nothing you can do. There's no checkbox on the, on the sheets of paper that we fill out in Sunday school that says, going to heaven, going to heaven, going to heaven. It, it don't matter how many times you come to Sunday school. What matters is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you grafted into the vine? That's where life comes from. Now, you want to have a stronger life? Yes, come to Sunday school. You want to have a stronger faith? You want to have a stronger life? Come to worship. You want to have a weak faith? Stay home. Stay home. Say, I could do it all alone. You ever try to accomplish any kind of team building and, and accomplish it well alone? No, it don't work that way. We are the bride of Christ. We are attached. We are all branches. And do we want to see people uh, cut away? No, we don't. Our desire to see people pruned. Pruning is different from a cutting away. Look there in that next part. It says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Many of you have gardens. You completely understand what's being said by Jesus. To remove unfruitful branches allows for the nutrients from the root to extend into the healthy branches. Right? You go out there and you look at a tomato plant, which many of you uh, have that. We've got two little tomato plants. If there's one that's a little bit brown, you hope you give it a day or two. You hope if it starts turning more brown, you clip that thing off. That way the nutrients continues going to the right branches. It's not living. It's, it does not have any life in it. And it's not because the vine ain't wanting to put it there. It's because there's something in the branch hindering it from working. It could be pride. It's hindering it from working. It could be unconfessed sin. It's, it's not allowing the Holy Spirit to come out and produce the fruit that is only found in the Holy Spirit. I get a little ahead of myself. But listen, God will cut you and prune you and trim you and chop you. He is not content to let you stay on the vine bearing little fruit. God wants you to have Great fruit, healthy fruit. Things that, a fruit that people want to participate in. They want to participate in the love that you show, the joy that you have, the patience that is, is resolved within you, the kindness that you have, the goodness, the gentleness, all these different things, the self-control, because so many people are out of control today. 
I mean, I don't want to be around people that just lose it all the time. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. I want, to say, I want to be around folks that are calm. You know, you got something going on, got a problem going on, calm down. Show some self-control. Let the Holy Spirit think about it. It's going to be okay. There's so many people today, oh, my emotions are wild up. Let me act the fool. Calm down. Calm down. Self-control, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're not letting the Holy Spirit dwell in you, if you're not confessing sin, then what's going to happen? You're hindering the flow, if you will. From a vine or from a tree, there is sap, there is nutrients that come up, and it has to go into the vine so that the vine stays healthy. And if you block that off, you're not going to have the help that you need. Because goodness gracious, I don't, I don't want to be cut off. I want to be pruned. And listen, pruning ain't exactly the greatest experience either. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems joyful in the moment, but painful. But in the end, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. That's what this is talking about. I, I want Christ to prune me. Cut, cut me back a little bit. Show me that you're the vine dresser and I am the branch. Humble me, Lord. Oh, goodness gracious, that's a hard prayer to pray, ain't it? You better be cautious if you pray a prayer like that. You better be cautious if you pray a prayer like that. But we need to be praying prayers like that, right? We need to be humbled. Because pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We need to be mindful about where we are. We need to be mindful. He's going to prune us. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. I can't remember what commentary is. I didn't write that down in there, but one of those commentary guys said that. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. Look at the next line. You are a branch because of the received word that the Lord has brought to you. He says you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Our cleanliness is based on his righteousness and it being placed on us through his Holy Spirit being placed in us. That is how our cleanliness comes. I've heard it said cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, that's not exactly in the Bible, but it's not, nothing wrong with saying it, though, right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. But the thing is, the way we get clean is by God's righteousness being imputed, being placed upon us. That's how we are clean. It is the received word that changes the life of the believer. And Jesus is the word. So it is not just an acceptance of the Bible, but rather a confession of whom the Bible says is Lord. Do you need to accept the Bible? 100%. Yeah, you do. But there's lots of people who read through the Bible. I've read through the Bible, but they live a life like they've never picked one up in their life. It has no... If you don't have faith in the one of whom the Bible says is Lord, you can read this Bible through a hundred times and it means nothing. It's a book. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, this is life. It is living, sharper than any two-edged sword. But you can't just sit here and say, well, I read the Bible. Good for you. Glad you read the Bible. I listened to the Bible. Good for you. You listened to the Bible. What would you do with it? Oh, I ain't done anything with it. Well, then the Bible ain't done nothing with you. And if the Bible ain't done nothing with you because Jesus Christ is the Word, the Lord probably ain't done much with you either, and you probably ain't been changed by His grace. You're probably not grafted into the vine. The Word should change you. There should be a change about you and me. Well, how does the Word change people? It says you have 
you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus has spoken to them. I'm speaking to you today. Other people, in Vacation Bible School this next week, not this week, but this next week, people are going to be speaking the word of God into children. Romans 10, 14, and 15 tells us then, tells us, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Listen, how are people going to hear this word to be cleaned by the word unless people share, herald, preach the word? I know we see that word preached and it becomes very intimidating. Yes, I'm going to preach the word. We're going to have people in this pulpit who preaches the word. But listen, preaching is not just breaking down a text and give you contextual understanding and all that. Heralding the word is saying, this is what the word of God says. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I got that backwards. Romans 3.23 is the shorter one. Romans 6.23 is the longer one. So we, we've got to give people an understanding of the word of God. We've got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Herald it. Herald it. So what do we do? We must go commissioned by Christ and his bride. We must preach compelled by Christ's love and his life. Receiving Christ as Lord grafts you into the vine. I've said that several times. Let me tell you what it does not do. And that vine is not the religious church, but rather the righteous Lord. Receiving Christ as Lord grafts you into the vine. And that vine is not religious church, but rather the righteous Lord. You should be a part of a local church, absolutely. You should be involved in a local church which that's what we are. But when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive him. Just as we've recently, we've had people join in our church. They join our church. They've said that I've already confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord. Okay, you're grafted in the vine, but you've joined the local church now. So we've got to do something. We've got to do something for the Lord in and through this. It could be that you, God wants you to teach a Sunday school class. God wants you to teach children or, or young adults or adults or uh, participate in vacation Bible school by being a leader in some form or fashion. But there's got to be somewhere to exercise your faith. Got to be a part. There needs to be fruit on that branch, not just a branch. Not just a branch. He goes on to say, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, this is verse uh, 4. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This thought carries a lot of weight. It's in its first use from Jesus, it meant simply spending the night with him. When he was talking to the disciples, he, and when he said, uh, abide in me and I in you, he's like, all right, come on, y'all going to spend the day, spend the night with me so that you could come to know who I am. Abide in me, in the original language. But I want you, I want you to understand, it goes on to mean much, much more throughout the Gospel of John. In John 6, 26, remaining in him meant eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So remaining in him entailed appropriating his sacrifice at the cross and living in identification with him. In John 8, 31, remaining in him meant holding to my teaching because you are my disciples. 
Later on, remaining in him entails being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Abiding in Christ is not some falling asleep on the couch after church kind of abide, but rather a get on your feet and serve kind of abide. That's what it means. It is an activation, not a relaxation. When you abide in Christ, it is an activation, not a relaxation. It doesn't mean I get to coast on into heaven. It means get after it. The Bible tells us, I think it's in Ephesians, that we have been quickened, we've been made alive in Christ. That doesn't mean that you just coast on into heaven. It, it, you don't set the, the, you don't set the, the old, you don't set your speed on, in your car and just take your feet off the gas and the brake and let it control you. you. You go. You still serve the Lord and you get after it. It's what we do. We abide in Christ. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless I abide in the, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus emphasized the truth of the illustration that we've been walking through. For us to produce fruit, we must remain on and in the vine. And he who abides in Christ and I in him, Jesus says, bears much fruit. We should desire a greater relationship with him every single day. And abiding in him, praying to him, believing on him, trusting him, Speaking of him, going for him, dying for him, that is true, abiding in Christ. It's abiding in him. And what is this fruit? He talks about this fruit. He wants to prune you back so your fruit will be, you'll produce greater fruit, more fruit. Well, it's obviously from Galatians chapter 5 because that is the fruit of the Spirit. It is love. It is so your love may be greater. It's Christ's love that compels us to go out and share the gospel Love, it is his joy. It's joy that comes through the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's a lot of things to not be joyful about, but one thing I can be joyful about is I'm saved by the grace of God. I know there's nothing that can pluck me from the Father's hand. I've got a joy that'll take me through this life, through my death, but yet it'll take me on to heaven where I'll have eternal joy, unspeakable joy, when I stand in the presence of the Father. Love, joy, peace. I don't have to get all up and, and hoard food. I don't have to worry about all this kind of stuff about what's happening in the world. Don't get me wrong. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. But nonetheless, I can have peace because whatever may come, if I live through the rest of the day, I'm living for Jesus. If I die at the end of the day, I die in Jesus. I have peace. I don't want to die yet as neither none of us do. But I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things make prayers and supplication unto the Lord. I mean, pray about it. You can have that type of joy, that peace. You can have patience with people. Of all times that we should ever have patience, now is the time. Trust me, go to the grocery store, go to the restaurant, go wherever it may be. They're half, they got half the employees they, they need. You know, and people get all angry, Mike, can't you help me? You're not fast enough, blah, 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 blah. Okay, look, they got half the staff that they normally should have because people have gotten lazy. Be patient with the ones that actually showed up to work. You know? Be patient. I mean, if anybody should be patient, if you're going to walk in there and talk about Christ, wear a Christian shirt or a Christian hat, you better not be impatient. You are making a bad name on Jesus, and if you're a part of this church, you're putting a bad name on our church. Be patient. Be patient. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you. Be kind. Be kind. Have goodness. 
Have faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The gift is the Holy Spirit. The fruit are these evidences that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The fruit is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is living within you. For me, going back to the scripture, for me, the vine, you, for without me, the vine, you can do nothing. And just as a branch apart from a vine can do nothing, we too are the same without Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. He withers. If you move on down there to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. He withers. He is gathered by the workers, not attached to the vine. He is thrown into the fire and burned. This is the consequence of a useless branch. An unrepentant, unconfessed branch. One of the, one of the men said that I was reading, Christ himself is the vine. Believers are the vine branches. It is not a question of the branch living its life for the vine, but simply of letting the life of the vine flow out through the branches. Sometimes we pray, Lord, help me to live my life for you. You hear that? Sometimes we pray, Lord, help me to live my life for you. It would be better to pray, Lord Jesus, live out your life through me. Without Christ, we can do nothing. A vine branch has one great purpose, to bear fruit. It is useless for making furniture or for building homes. It does not even make good firewood, but it is good for fruit bearing as long as it abides in the vine. If we are a branch, we've got to abide. We've got to remain. And Jesus goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This has to be understood. A desire apart from an attachment to the vine is a dead desire. Think about that, because there's not going to be any good fruit come from it. It's a dead desire. A desire apart from, a, from an attachment to the vine is a dead desire. But a desire attached to the vine is a living desire, one that will produce much fruit. God loves to grant the desires of his attached branches. <laughs> I never thought about that until I studied in this week. God loves to grant the desires of his attached branches. And when we think about this, there's, there's always that little, that little verse that runs along in the back of your head when you hear that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You notice there's stipulations on this request, right? You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. There's stipulations on that request. If you look at Psalm 37, 3 and 4, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Do you, you see that? It's, it's, not, it's not segregated or divorced from obedience and surrender to the good shepherd. It's all within the understanding that he has and knows what's best for us in our submission to his leadership. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Why, why would he give you the desires of your heart? Because if you're doing those things, you're doing the things that already are wanting to bring glory and honor to him and submission to his will. You're not going to be outside his will if you're doing those things. 
So when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you because your desires will be his desires. And then by this, by this, there in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God, when people see us in our community, when people see us in our job places, when people see us out and about, whether it be at, at the restaurant getting the food or whether it's at the grocery store waiting in line or wherever it may be, when people see us and they see us being patient, when they see us being kind, when they see us being gentle with those folks that maybe, maybe their, their, their checkout line has had eight people in it consistently over and over and over and over. They ain't getting a break. They're getting rude people before you. They're getting impatient people before you. They're getting people that are just rough and they're unkind. And then you come through the line and you're gentle and you're kind and you're patient. And you say something to the extent of, thank you. I appreciate you coming into work today. Because <laughs> I really need to check out these groceries. I appreciate, I appreciate that. You know how much of a change that, I mean, that absolutely could change the countenance and the course of that individual's life. If you follow it up with, you know, Jesus loves you, and we are very grateful for the fact that you saw, saw fit to come into work today. Thank you. God is glorified that you bear much fruit. This is not some existential, far-out-reaching thing for us to do. You know, God isn't saying you've got to go out and preach and do all this kind of stuff. God wants you to bear much fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. There's no law against those things. So let's, let's, let's let the Holy Spirit flow freely through us. Let's come to the altar. Let's repent of those sins. Let's confess those before the Lord. So that the Holy Spirit can work through us. So that that fruit may be produced at the end of our branch. And people can see that. Your fruitfulness is a glory to the name of God. God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to be healthy. Now when I say that, people say, oh, you better be careful where you're stepping off. He wants you to be a healthy branch. He does. You know what I mean? He wants you to be a healthy branch. To be a healthy branch, you need to be attached to the vine. To be attached to the vine, to be a healthy branch, you need to be a person of repentance and of confession. And then you need to be a person that is of action. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be able to ask in confidence of him. I mean, he said, if you abide in me and you abide in my word, if you ask of me what you desire, I'll give it to you. God wants you to be able to ask in confidence of him. God wants you to abide in him. God wants you to know Jesus is divine, and as disciples, you are the branches. Today, are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to the true vine that is Christ Jesus? If you are not, the way you come to be connected to the vine is Romans 10 9 and 10, where Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and he says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you shall be saved. 
For it is with the heart that one believes unto righteousness, and it is with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. Now listen, this word is in your mouth. It's in your heart, Romans 10, 8 tells us. But you've got to do something with it. What are you going to do? And you can't just let the gospel just be there. The gospel can't just save you one time momentarily. We talked about that, about the centrality of the gospel last week. It's got to be something that's a part of your life every day. I hope that the gospel is a part of your life every day. I hope you're confessing, you're repenting, so the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit is flowing through your branch and you're producing fruit that is good and glorious and brings glory to the name of Christ. If you're not doing that, ask for, ask for forgiveness. God, God is faithful. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what happens then? It's the breakdown. It breaks down, and then that flow of nutrients that comes from the root through the vine into our branch that will produce fruit will begin again. I hope that's you today. I hope you'll humbly come before the Lord in repentance.